Rito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 84 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. 84, obviously no Giants numbers that are 84, but we can talk about the 1984 All-Star game, which was one of the coldest nights of my life. I sat in the <laughs> upper deck. I cheered on Chili Davis and Bob Brenly. I got a, a special commemorative quad candlestick with Stu Miller on it. This is all branded promotion for my uh, feature on Candlestick, which uh, published today. So, so read that. 1984, good times, good times. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing good. I'm 84. The first thing I think of is Randy Moss's uh, Minnesota Vikings tenure. That's the first thing I think of. But if I think about that All Star game, I think about didn't Fernando Valenzuela strike out five consecutive batters in that game? Uh, or no, that I, was 86, Dwight Gooden, I believe. Right? Dwight Gooden. Was, it was Dwight Gooden, yes. There was Dwight Gooden. And uh, let's see, 84, 84. Let's see, I'm trying to think of what happened in 84 if there was a uh, – like who was in the the, champion, the NL Championship Series? I can't – 84, 84. Go read another Manscaped ad. <laughs> 84. Oh, that's right. That's the Steve Garvey National League Championship Series. Ugh. Sorry, sorry. I had to. Are bleeding ears a symptom of any larger diseases? <laughs> My ears are now bleeding. Oh, I do enjoy needling you about your Cubs past. But mm-hmm. we are here to talk about the current, the present, the Giants, and the season <laughs> starts in uh, two weeks. It starts in two weeks, two weeks from today. How's that going, Andy? Why are you laughing about that? Um, yeah, the Giants just put out their 2021 schedule, which almost seems like a, a dark humor at this point. I tweeted it out with root, root, root for the vaccine, because that's the only way we're going to get that. And it does seem like it's more real, though, to look at that schedule and kind of envision, okay, they open at Seattle. That's interesting. And and think, you know, I actually might be in Seattle and, and they might actually play those games if uh, God willing. But the 2020 schedule still seems like such a concept to me. And it's not exactly a, a, a provable concept at this point. They're two weeks away. I mean, they're two weeks away and two weeks. Nine inning games, nine inning games. <laughs> so we talk about, oh, there's a runner on second base in extra innings. That makes Billy Hamilton a perfect ad. Oh, and by the way, why haven't we seen Billy Hamilton? Oh, we can't tell you. Okay, so that means that maybe he's on the COVID list, maybe not. It's kind of irresponsible for us to speculate, but he's not available, and we don't know when he will be. Brandon Bell all of a sudden is uh, is hurt. He's in a walking boot because of a heel. Buster Posey is absent again, dealing with a personal matter, wishing him obviously the best in whatever he's dealing with. But there's just an opacity that goes over everything. And every day just brings more questions and questions that people can't answer. And they can't answer because of MLB's protocols. And we understand that they're boxed in. They would like to tell us everything that's going on. But it's just really hard to actually talk about the roster and talk about how the roster is coming together. It just seems like such a folly to analyze, okay, how are the Giants looking and, and what are their prospects? It's 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 just, you know, this whole thing seems to be breaking apart. It's really, really 
bizarre and difficult to, to talk about because yesterday I wrote about Tyler Anderson, which is not like the topic that's on, even in a normal season, that wouldn't be the topic that's that's on the, the top of uh, a Giants fans' lists. Uh, it's sort of an esoteric, like, look at, hey, I, I really like this free agent signing. It made sense in a normal season. It really makes sense now. But to talk about X's and O's, which is my job you know that that's what I'm supposed to do I'm supposed to be the the guy with uh lukewarm takes swooping in and saying here's what I've noticed it just feels like I'm reporting from Mars like I'm just on a, a completely different planet and I I don't know how to navigate it but I'm with you it just it seems so strange to think about in two weeks a nine-inning baseball game. And not just that, you're looking at August 3rd, the Giants are going to be in Colorado. August 7th, they're going to be in LA. August 10th, they're going to be in Houston. What? That's a lot of travel. I know they're going to have chartered jets, but it's just the whole idea of it is I cannot wrap my tiny little brain around it. Yeah, you know, I do think that if, if they have all these procedures in place and the players are absolutely in lockstep about quarantining and sheltering in their hotel rooms. They can control a lot of their environment, I do think. But I mean, right now, even with intake testing, we're uh, having teams having to cancel workouts because they can't get their test results in time. The testing logistics have to be right. Uh, They have to get it down pat without any delays or or any exceptions um, for this thing to progress. I I do think, as strange as it sounds, that the, the travel stuff as long as the players are, are really taking it seriously and not, you know, venturing out, then I think it can work. I think that they can stay safely, you know, sort of isolated on the road. But just getting things going and realizing that guys are missing time in workouts right now that they need to be ready for the season. And I think what this is going to lead to, if we get to the point where there are games that, that go off, if they start playing games... I think we're going to have a lot of just regular old baseball injuries because I don't think people are going to be really ready. I don't know how they could be. Now you're talking about a guy who has a strained hamstring. They're missing half a season, you know, uh, with a 60-game season. So that could really, from a competitive standpoint, change the landscape. A team like the Dodgers, you've got David Price has already opted out. What if Clayton Kershaw has a little something here? What if Mookie Betts has a little something there? All of a sudden, you know, they're they're not quite the powerhouse they were before. So, you know, this is really going to be a free-for-all if they are able to get the season started. I will say that what, specifically, like the Dodgers, they have the most to lose insofar as they have the, the, the highest level of talent. They have the, you know, the MVPs, the Cy Youngs and stuff like that. But they also have like a, a wild amount of depth, which could be exactly what the, the team that succeeds needs. Would you say that if there is a silver lining to the rash of injuries that we should expect is that most of them would be of the freak oblique tweak variety and not the my shoulder exploded variety or my elbow exploded variety uh, because those are more endurance injuries or am I just making this up because I'm an English major it's uh it's interesting it's an interesting question I I guess my my very wizened answer would be I have no idea (laughs) um because both kind of make sense right on one hand you've got pitchers that are going to be pitching in more like multi-inning but shorter bursts so maybe they're throwing harder so they could blow out always the ramp up for pitchers is what why spring training is so long that and and it's become a money-making operation 
But yeah, I, I would say as much as I would like to repeat what you said, uh, freak oblique tweaks are, are probably going to be more likely than uh, than you know those sort of overuse injuries or those those sort of injuries where you get worn down. I do think that a lot of teams are going to treat every game like a playoff game. They're going to absolutely tailor their lineups and their pitching series to series, opponent to opponent. And so I think you're going to get a lot of people playing, you know, part portions of games and, and not necessarily someone Cal Ripkening their way, you know, through this season. So, yeah, I, I think the overuse injuries are probably going to be down, but maybe the explosive injuries would be up. One thing I've noticed, or not one thing I've noticed, but rather something that is, is going to bother me all season is the speculation that is unavoidable, because I get why Major League Baseball is saying, we're not just going to come out without the player's permission and say this person has has COVID. I understand that. That makes sense. What it's going to lead to, and there's I don't think there's any way to avoid it, is that speculation where you see this guy's out and it's an immediate rut row, and... I don't know how to get around that as someone who's who's studying the team and trying to figure out where, where they're heading and, and what's going right, what's going wrong. It's like impossible not to make that jump, even when it's wildly irresponsible. And I hate it. And I don't know what else to do. Yeah. So here's an interesting, uh, to your point, the other day, the Giants added three more players to their player pool. Caleb Barragar, the left-handed pitcher who pitched Sacramento to the AAA uh, title last year. Alexander Canario, young outfielder, uh, lower levels, one of their top 10 prospects, totally there for development. And uh, Sam Wolf, right-hander who I think came over from the Rangers and maybe the Matt Moore trade, if I remember correctly. And he's been uh, hurt a lot, but has been major league camp last couple of years. They're just bringing in a couple more arms. And, and, and two things occurred to me. One was a guy like Barragar, who probably they don't have a whole lot of scouting reports on. There's no scouts in the stands for these workouts. You throw him in there all of a sudden, and people have never seen him before, that could be an advantage. I mean, these teams are not going to be scouted uh, to start the season. They just have some minor league video, basically. So if guys have been working on new pitches, doing stuff on the side, which they can do with all the Rapsodo and all the Edgertronic cameras and the spin rates and stuff, you could have some teams really come out and surprise you with with what some of their pitchers are throwing, because there's not going to be a lot of scouting information. So that was my first thought. My second thought was, ooh, how many people do they have in the pool now? Because they're getting up close to 60. I texted uh, the Giants PR to ask them. And the answer I got was, we will not be updating our player pool number going forward. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay. It's like asking how many you guys are on the 40-man roster. Are you full at 40? It's just, it seems almost ridiculous that, that, that they can't provide that. But, I mean, their hands are tied. They're not trying to be, you know... Uh, jerks about it they're like you know they're as frustrated as as we are because if they give us the pool number we're going to know how many people are on the covid list and they can't release that so you know is billy hamilton on the covid list is harleen garcia on the covid list we haven't seen them in workouts gabe kapler was asked about them and he said that he can't answer the question so that's kind of where we are and it sucks. It's confusing. We would love to give you more information. They would probably love to give us more information, but these are the protocols and they're they're really bizarre uh, in some ways. In some ways, they're necessarily bizarre, but it just makes it really hard to kind of cover the team if you really do want to start delving into the minutia and the, uh, you know, sort of the get granular about, about all the teams and all the players and, and, and what they're up to. And I can think about of about 10 reasons why a player who is on the COVID list would not want to disclose that. And there's probably there are probably 90 reasons I can't think of. 
you know, so like I'm not begrudging the players and nobody should. No one should say like, well, just come out. What's the big deal? Like it's a decision that they have to make. It's their life. It's their health. And there are reasons. And there are also reasons to not be in the, the, the camp or for whatever that don't involve that. And you have to respect that. But I don't know. It's like you have to respect all of this while still maintaining a normal brain about how the baseball season is going to work and how the Giants might fare. And look, it's it's all just a big, hot mess. And the season starts in two weeks. 20, 14 <laughs> days. 14 days. I mean, it, nine inning baseball games on TV, professional baseball players, major league baseball players, the elite of the elite in 14 days. I cannot believe it to drag out a couple decades old uh, slogan, baseball fever, catch it. Oh, except, no, don't. Please, don't. Please, no, don't catch please. it. Wash your hands. No. Don't catch it. <laughs> don't catch baseball fever. Oh, man. So it's with Posey specifically, and he has been very vocal in saying, look, I don't know if this is going to be right for me. We're still trying to figure this out. That seems like a pretty big deal, and I get it, and I'm with him. Like, if Major League Baseball can't get the testing right, if they cannot make the players think that uh, all the particulars of the agreement are going to be adhered to, you shouldn't necessarily think, oh, like, yeah, well, whatever. Let's just plug our nose and dive in. You should hold that option. And I I think Posey's got it right, and that would be a big deal. He is still one of the Giants' best players. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, they'll take their lead from him. But, you know, I think every person's situation is different. And every person has people in their lives who are going to be in risk groups or not in risk groups. You may have people dealing with just regular old life situations. You know, Johnny Cueto announced on his Instagram the other day that his father passed away last month. I'm imagining just how heartbreaking and how difficult it must have been, you know, a week or two after his father's services to have to get on a plane from the Dominican to San Francisco to go get ready for a season that may not happen under conditions that are going to be completely weird. I cannot imagine the level of heaviness in his heart uh, that he's dealing with. Uh, And I'm sure there are other players, you know, there are people who, uh, you know, Garrett Cole and and his wife just had a baby. There are other priorities that people have in their lives. And especially for those players who have banked a lot of money in this game and are going to be making, you know, pennies on the dollar to what they're full salary would have been for this year. You have to wait. Is this worth it for me? What sense of obligation do you feel to your teammates or your organization or or to your country, if that's the way you're wired, to play baseball amid these conditions versus your own personal responsibilities? And I don't think we can judge anybody who makes any decision, no matter which way it is and no matter what the reasons are. I don't think that we can judge anybody harshly for just packing up their bag and saying, you know what, I I just, I'm not, I'm thinking this is not a good idea. I'm going to go home. Let's pause to take a brief moment and talk about Manscaped. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? Lord knows I am. The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. This Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the essential 
Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave which isn't me. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. Oh my. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a below the belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and smell great. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing manscaped boxer briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag $39 value and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. So do you know that famous tweet where it is... Each day on Twitter, there is one main character. The goal is to never be it, right? It's, it's basically saying there's someone that every day Twitter's going to scream at because they've done something in, incredibly stupid. And that's basically true, except now it's an ensemble cast. Every day Twitter it presents you with an ensemble cast of main characters that are, are worthy of being screamed at. And I actually don't remember the gentleman's name yesterday who wrote a column about how Mike Trout needs to step up and be, you know, be a, a team player. And he can't opt out even if his wife is pregnant. And it included like sentences and turns of phrase like, I get it, you know, his wife is pregnant and studies have shown that pregnant women when exposed to the coronavirus uh, have a really tough time. However, and it's like, (laughs) how do you type that sentence out and then think and look at the blinking cursor and go, hmm, I will start with, however, and and I think with every player, they've got to, you have to recognize that they're individuals, they're all humans, and they're all dealing with different stuff and, and different complications with all this, and you cannot judge. Yeah, that was Marcus Hayes, a columnist from Philadelphia, who, who used to cover the Phillies, and, and yeah, the, the essential thing he kept coming back to is, it's your job, do your job. That was a bad take. And someone was like, this is a really bad headline on this column. And then other people were like, no, did you read the column? It's The headline is accurate. It's just a really bad column. I have to say, I am a little bit disappointed because when you started off by saying, do you know that famous tweet? I really thought you were going to Crab Rangoon. That to me is, is the most famous tweet in all of Twitter history. But, you know, that's just me. I do appreciate a good Crab Rangoon tweet. That is... Uh... One of my favorites. However, I think if I had to pick one, I think it's the Drain the World's Oceans tweet. Do you know that one? No, I don't think I've ever seen that one. Drain the World's Oceans. Yeah, it's a 2014 tweet. And this is, I've actually read this out loud to to my wife to prove that 
what's funny to me on Twitter will not be funny to her. And she didn't laugh at all. And to me, that's the funniest tweet of all time. It's, uh, we're a modest company with modest goals. Number one, sell a quality product at a fair price. Number two, drain the world's ocean so that we can find and kill God. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so absurd. And I just, every time I see it, I retweet it. And it's just, it's my favorite all-time tweet and I don't know. So it's it's that Crab Rangoon. I'm sure like 90% of the people listening to this heard that tweet read out loud and thought, that's not funny. And I don't blame you, but you know, Twitter's a weird place. I'm really fascinated by what's funny on the printed page or on the screen versus what's funny when you say it. I think a lot of what makes like stand-up comedians funny is it's just delivery. It's just cadence. It's facial expressions. I mean, there's so much, but yeah, it's there's so many times what's funny on print. I'll, I'll like read something out loud to to somebody and be like, "This is hilarious," and they'll be like, "That's not funny." I'm like, "Oh well, <laughs> I, I guess you had to read it. I guess you had to read it." It's the timing. It's the place. It is showing up in your Twitter feed. You know, sandwiched between two awful news articles or underneath the baseball news or something like that. It's it's the presentation. I don't know. It's you. I believe are like me in so far as Twitter has rewired your brain and not always for the best, but I don't think there's any undoing it at this point. Yeah, I agree. I do think sometimes, you know, it'll kind of be nice when I move off to my second career making fruit wine or roasting coffee or, I don't know, doing Sporkle somehow professionally and getting paid for it. It'll be nice when I'm no longer in the media and I can just nuke my Twitter account like I've nuked Facebook a couple years ago. But then I think, oh, oh hell no, I, I'm not going to nuke Twitter. I'll still be on it. I'll just lurk a lot more. But I'll tell you what, though, there, there are times when it is just, I just want to be the guy from Parks and Rec who throws my computer in the in the dumpster like a few days ago with the Pablo Sandoval stuff. And, and then there are other days where I'll see something and just laugh out loud. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a big mess. It's a little bit of everything, but it's got its redeemable qualities, I think. I think I need to get to a point where I can hire someone to look at Twitter for me and then go like, uh, uh, David Roth wrote a column. You're going to want to read that and like pass it to me and, you know, slack me, DM me, say, oh, there's actually a very funny uh, uh, tweet by Craig Goldstein. You're going to want to you're going to read this tweet. It's someone who can curate for me exactly why I would want to be on on Twitter, because right now it's really the biggest impediment to my writing, I think, is that there's always a tab open and it's a torrent of information and I'll type a sentence and I'll go to research something and I'll uh, slip onto Twitter and then whoopsie doodle, I've lost 10 minutes because I'm just now I'm on some sort of ProPublica article and and my head is spinning and it, it, it's it's weird it's it's such a weird tool so how much would you pay for this Twitter like Oracle because if if the sporkle doesn't work out I'm gonna need another job uh I get it um <clears throat> my offer my offer is this senator nothing not even the the cost of the the gaming fee or license which I would be happy if you put up yourself now that's I can't remember the Godfather 2 quote, but yeah, that's my offer because that's what I got. Could I at least get a free Lawnmower 2.0 out of the deal? Uh, Lawnmower, isn't it Lawnmower 3.0 now? Oh my goodness, you're right. They've upgraded it again. I forgot. Yeah, no, you don't want to sell yourself short. You will, uh... (laughs) (laughs) All right, I don't know how we got onto this topic, but I think we can just sort of gently nudge ourselves back on topic. In two weeks, the Giants are going to play in Los Angeles ostensibly a... Do you think that's going to happen? B, if it does happen, uh, 
real quickly, how do you think the Giants are going to approach it with all of their injuries and, and such and, and missing players? Is it going to be just sort of like a tandem starter, three inning, followed by two inning relievers out of the gate? I mean, should we even talk about strategy at this point or wait until the game actually starts? I don't think we can really count on anyone being there because we don't know who's going to enter, what the testing protocols are, are going to smooth out. We don't know who's going to have to be sequestered or put on the COVID list, even for you know a contact exposure. You don't have to have any symptoms. Uh, you can just know somebody or had contact with somebody who's tested positive, and that's enough to put you on the list. So it's really hard to bank on anyone's availability, to be honest. But that, And that's part of why I think that with the couple with a short ramp up means, yeah, you're going to see games where it's going to be not quite like an all-star game where it's an inning per pitcher but it's going to be like maybe two or three innings you know johnny holstaff type of games i think that's what we're going to see do i think that they're going to play you know the biggest impediment still seems to me if gavin newsom says look you can't have more than 10 people in any workplace and and you know dodger stadium you can only have 10 people in the facility at one time okay well game's off you know i don't know i think that mlb has enough clout politically that they can kind of find their way around any uh, shelter-in-place restrictions that may go back in, into effect in some of these cities. I think that they've gotten this far. They've, they've put people at the amount of risk they already have. Unless teams start getting overwhelmed with positive tests, I think they're going to try to make it through. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to look like baseball we know. I don't know how distracting it's going to be from everything that's going on because I think it's going to be just as much a reminder that things are not normal to watch the games. But I, I do think that they're committed to trying to find a way forward. And, and I think that they're going to start. Whether they can finish, I don't know. If you're asking me to, to predict, I think that they will play a game at Dodger Stadium on the 23rd. And I would like to point out, because I do feel like I'm a nattering nabob of negativism uh, with all this. I, I will point out that with all the players who test positive, every time that happens, you'll get people who tweet, just cancel the season now, just cancel the season now. What that presupposes is that if there weren't a training camp, summer camp, whatever you want to call it, that no one would be testing positive. And I don't think that's the case. I think if everyone were at home and left to their devices, as they were for the first few months, there would still be cases. And what you have to figure out is, are there more cases because of the baseball? Is there something baseball is doing that is specifically putting these players at more risk than they would otherwise be in in their regular life. And I think for some players, if they if they're behaving like like I am, basically, you know, closing the outside world and, and hiding under their bed, yeah, that's putting them more at risk. But overall, I'm not sure. And it might be it might be taking someone who normally would be like, ah, forget about it. I'm going out to the bars or I'm going out to the restaurants and, and giving them a sense of urgency that they might not have otherwise had. And maybe they're taken a little bit more seriously because of the protocols, because they would screw up the entire season, perhaps if they became a super spreader. So I don't know. I, I really don't know where to, to land on that issue. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. And I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, how many of these players would not be, you know, wearing masks and not be distancing and not be essentially, you know, limiting their movement from their hotel room or their apartment or whatever they have to the ballpark and vice versa, you know, especially the ones that are coming from, you know, Texas and Florida and, and places that were 
you know, getting really out of control in terms of case spikes. So you might be right. There may be people who are safer because of it in terms of the players themselves. You know, and, and then I think about a Luis Madero who got on a plane from Miami to San Francisco and in the intake tested positive. And then I think of all the people who are on the plane with him. And if you get on a plane, you know you're, you're accepting risks. And in a lot of cases, they tested people before they traveled, but I, I know they couldn't do that entirely. There's just a lot of ethical questions that are going to arise based on the movement of people and how much movement is essential. You got to keep the economy going on, on some level, but there's just no way you can make any kind of cost benefit analysis between making profits and the statistical chance that people are going to die. So I think overall, the, the movement of people as it relates to baseball starting up is certainly not a good thing. But the way that a lot of players themselves are probably policing themselves and taking precautions, they are probably safer now than they would be at home. I guess the way I would put it is that if I were a baseball player, and shut up, I made the all-star team when I was in the fourth grade, but if I were a, a baseball player and I had to come back right now, I would be at an elevated risk compared to how I'm living my life right now. I would be encountering far more people and, and be in public far more than I am right now. However, Joe West... As someone who is saying, ah, you know, my heart of hearts, I'm not really thinking this is a big deal. Well, he still has to, to follow the protocol and he's going to be wearing a, a mask, you know, not just an umpire's mask, but he's going to be just to get around the ballpark. He's got to put on a damn mask and he's going to be at a far lower risk and he's going to put other people at a lower risk. And so when you try and meet in the middle of those, is it an acceptable risk? And I think it is like, I think I'm being too cautious. And I, I think what baseball is doing is generally they're trying and it's difficult and it's a mess, but at the same time, it's, it's not wild erratic like it's it's somewhat predictable whereas you're bringing in someone like joe west who would normally be like yeah who cares i think that the middle is still somewhat safe but i don't know i'm, I'm no ethicist yeah and we're all gonna have to be ethicists to some degree but uh you know yeah <laughs> i i was trying to think of where, where to go from that i i feel like i've been pretty darn cautious too. I, I've, I've only really gone out for groceries and do all the right things when I'm out and make sure I, you know, wipe everything down and, and wash my hands all the time. And, you know, I, I'm lucky in that I don't necessarily live in a super dense environment. I have a backyard, you know, that I can use. Um, I have a an elliptical machine that is uh, I, I am able to use in, in lieu of going to a gym. So I do feel like going out and going to the ballpark and covering some of these workouts, for me, yeah, the, there's a little more exposure than there would be in my normal daily life. But again, having seen the way that people are conducting themselves in the ballpark makes me feel good just because everybody's being cautious. Everyone's doing the right thing. There aren't no dorks in MAGA t-shirts and froggy flip-flops yelling at me in a Costco. So that sort of brings me peace of mind. And that makes me think that they maybe they can pull this off if they can get everyone, you know, testing more reliably negative. Yeah, I'm still trying to steal myself for <laughs> attending a game because I live rent free in my own head. And I know that just going out in public whenever I do it, I, I come back in and I sit for two weeks. And, and as someone who my allergies have been awful all summer. And every time I'd say I sniffle, even though I haven't talked to anyone for two weeks, it's like, uh oh, Ooh, yeah, I know. Oh, hmm? Dry cough. Wait, 
you know, and I just, that's, that's my own hypochondria, that's my own anxiety, and it sucks, but I, I do want to go to a game, because it's, I mean, I have, I would have the opportunity to, to go to, to some of these games, which few people would, and I think it's going to be a huge part of the baseball story for the rest of my life, this season, and I don't know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta step up, Eggs. Well, I, I'll tell you this. We can always go back down Nostalgia Road and, and look at Baseball Past, which we've done quite a bit. And you know what? Honestly, I've had some fun doing that. So I will tell you, because we made reference to it in the 1984 All-Star Game, Fernando Valenzuela struck out the side in the fourth, and Dwight Gooden, who was 19 at the time, struck out the side in the fifth. So that's what I was oh, thinking of. It was. However, tell me which is more impressive, striking out Dave Winfield, Reggie Jackson, and George Brett? Or striking out Lance Parrish, Chet Lemon, and Alvin Davis. Yeah, that's a good point. Because uh, Fernando but... did the former, Doc did the latter. So I'll take Fernando Mania. I would. I would still say that Gooden being 19 and just everything he did that season. I'll still take Gooden. If I have to watch one of those half innings, I'm still going to take Gooden. Now, the funny thing is, you know who threw out the first pitch in that game? Uh, I don't. Wait, Huey Lewis? No, no, he sang the national anthem. He probably should have thrown out the first pitch, too. But uh, Carl Hubble threw out the first pitch. Passed away in 1988, so this was 84. And he was known for the 1934 All-Star Game when he struck out five Hall of Famers in a row. Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin. That was pretty darn cool. With all the historical research I've been doing in the last uh, few months, it's always fun to see Carl Hubble's name appear as, as someone in the Giants front office who's very, very active with, with some of those memorable Giants teams. And also, one thing I learned was that, did you know who was at the Candlestick Park opening game in 1960? It was Ty Cobb. Wow. He passed away not too long after that, but I, I that blew my mind because I just think of Ty Cobb as existing 700 years ago, but he was at Candlestick Park. I've seen the uh, the the grainy footage of Ty Cobb on, uh, what was it, What's My Line? Or, or um, one of those game shows where you have to guess who he is, and nobody knew who he was. <laughs> and then they're all like, oh, of course, Mr. Baseball Man. I don't think they got necessarily the most sporty. It was like Jeopardy where they go through the NFL category and it's just all triple stumpers because none of them have any concept of sports. But uh, yeah, that was interesting too. Oh, man. All right. Well, Ty Cobb at Candlestick. How would you have known that? Well, if you read my article about Candlestick Park on theathletic.com, 30-day free trial. Okay. This has been episode 84 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I was joined by Andy Baggerly. We were produced by Brian Smith, who did a great job. And so we will be back on... Oh, God, is this the Monday or Thursday? This is the Thursday. (laughs) We will be back on Monday. Monday. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then.